Welcome to Hearthside Salons. I'm Heidi Hornbacher of Pagecraft Writing. Each week we bring you conversations with creators and innovators to feed your creative fire. For indie filmmakers, nothing is more heartbreaking than pouring your heart and soul and money, or other people's money, into a film only to have it sit on a figurative shelf. But many of us go into the process without thinking beyond just getting our vision in the can. Producer and distributor Lindsay Lanzilotta says that not every movie will sell at Sundance for 10 million, but every movie can have an audience. It's about planning ahead and staying in control of your options. Today, we talk about the trenches of indie film production and the many ways to crack the distribution nut. Lindsay Lanzilotta, welcome to Hearthside well Salon. Very well done. <laughs> well, let me ask you, for my own, for my own edification, what? How is your Italian heritage? Um, oh. It's not mine. It's my. Oh, do you marry into it? <laughs> yeah, you married into it. All yeah. right. I feel very fortunate to have married into it, but yes. I, I had a complicated non-Italian last name, and then I traded it for a complicated Italian name that's much more lyrical and beautiful. So I like I took it. First of all, I totally feel you on that because I'm Heidi Hornbacher, so I've got the the uh, you know the same silly last name, but you know, and the same initial first letters thing. Mm-hmm. So we we have that yeah. going. And it gets to this point, you know, I used to hate my last name so much, and now I'm just like it's so weird, and it's so just like, you know awkward that people remember it and now I like I got married I'm like I'm not changing my last name it's too weird well, yeah it's very distinctive I found it hard yeah. to change my last name at first like I wanted to but it was a little bit of a slow transition for me I felt very territorial over my yeah yeah my maiden name and like all the reasons why people keep their maiden name I was sure. kind of game to do that but then I was also like nah <laughs> I'm going to have some fun and be a different identity. I love so. it. Well, <laughs> I obviously prefer, love the Italian. My, I married an Italian and that's, we both, uh, we both have dual citizenship. So oh, nice. we, we do, we teach writing workshops in Italy normally. Wow. That's amazing. So, um, yeah. That's our, that's how Pagecraft started. So, oh, really? That's yeah, very so cool. Fingers crossed this, uh, the vaccine will work and we can all travel again next year and run oh away God. to Italy again. Yeah, so I'm going to extra cross fingers for you for that one. Because going, going to Italy, I know I was supposed to go for my anniversary this oh, year, but it's the know. best. Well, we, we need to talk offline about Italy. I could talk all day. Well, I wanted to start because you've, you know, you've had this incredible producer career and now you have this whole other thing, but you know, for all of us just coming into, we all have our origin stories as it were, like, how did you, how did you get, where, where, where did you grow up? How'd you get your start? Well, I'm actually Canadian, so I mm-hmm. grew up in uh, a suburb of Toronto and then lived in Toronto as an adult. Um, and really, I, you know, there's lots of ways to, or uh, ways to become a producer um, and lots of different kinds of producers now, especially. Um, but I, I really, um, I didn't really fall on that track of like knowing how to become one really. Like I didn't join a company and become like someone's assistant. And I also definitely didn't, you know, if I'd moved to the States to that track of being someone's assistant at an agency to learn the tricks of the trade and then maybe getting a job as a creative executive and then like, you know, moving on in that way. Um, I, I, I did not do um, that pathway uh I was 
um, I, I just decided to start producing um, okay. and, and like I did it through theater at first oh, and then okay. and then I did it with that same group of people I did shorts and then started doing features and then it just uh, it grew into something like I knew I wanted to do it so I just would take jobs and I would do it for free really like or do it for a very little money um, and I just really wanted to be a producer and not anything else in between. Like I almost went to law school. My brother convinced me not to, cause I do like wow. the contract side of things. So I wrote Ugh. my LSAT. So I consider, but my brother's like, you, you know, whether I'm angry with him or not for telling me not to, I'm not really sure because he was like, well, you know what you want to do. So that's going to distract you. Um, I mean, I could, it could have helped to add to the mix, but I see what he means. I think my pathway would have been quite a bit different and I probably yeah. would have become very like type A in regards to like finding a way to have my legal be a bigger deal and being like maybe an entertainment lawyer maybe a whole different story would have happened but I really just decided to call it and say that's what I am and that's I just started becoming one. <laughs> so. That's great and it, it's funny I came from the opposite direction I came from the creative well actually kind of the same as you started but like I'm like, could someone else please do this legal stuff for me? Like, I just really do the creative stuff. And then like the, the producing side, that's all the coordination and the, that, you know, the creative fun of like, who can I get to do this job? Who has this vision? Who's going to do this amazing thing? But, and if you like the legal side, I feel like that's such a, that's such a, a leg up because it's such an yeah. important factor. Yeah. I mean, I like a lot of the nerd stuff that like maybe other people w wouldn't like. Um, I mean, I love being a part of the creative, but I do love creatively, like with numbers, I like budgeting. Oh yeah. Um, and I also, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, all of it's creative, like the strategy with casting or financing, but it's yeah. like, I also like really enjoy tax credit seminars. Like people are like, what? I mean, I don't go to them as much because I think I went to them a lot. And then now I can find out and understand without having to go to them. But like, it was definitely a thing to understand the business side of things. Cause yeah. I definitely went in a little doe eyed thinking that I would be doing like something creatively with some business to it, but really mm -hmm. like business, business school probably would have been a better choice. Um, yeah. I think that a lot to become a producer because you're really like the boss of everything so it requires that you know how to do everything and if you have a business mind behind it I think that's probably helpful as well as helping you finance and continuing to finance films especially in the independent space yes so, mm -hmm. so like as you were getting started I wanted to see like your you know your earliest feature and when you started doing that side of things what was like what were some of the biggest pitfalls that you faced Financing is complicated, uh, but casting is worse in my mind. Um, having, you know, the gatekeepers that control that, um, I certainly, you know, I think that's part of the reason why a lot of producers like to have actors become their friends and things yeah. like that, because it is very helpful if your best friend is Brad Pitt, you know, sure. um, I would imagine, I don't know. Um, but like, it's, um, not something that I, I don't really like seek out. I'm not quite like that and becoming like best friends with, I'd like to have like natural relationships with people. So um, it's nice to like keep in touch with people you've worked with. And like, if you have a natural like friendship, then that's great. But I, I casting, I would say is the biggest stumbling block because it, it, it can, it can prevent momentum. 
you know, you can be waiting forever in the independent space. And like independent film is not the same as it was many years ago. And people are, would rather wait around or their agents would rather than wait and like get a TV deal rather mm. than do an independent film. Oh, that's so. really disappointing. Mm-hmm. It, well, hmm. that's some of this, that's some of the things people say. And the thing is you're not talking directly to the actors. So whenever there's a yeah. possibility of doing that, um, I take it, I would say. Okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, that kind of ties it like in my next question was going to be, what's like the biggest lesson you've learned besides be friends with Brad Pitt. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I think like going back to, I think I always say that it's a business, not, um, not um, just creative. Again, you use creativity in business all the time, which is imperative, but really understanding the business side of things and knowing, knowing the numbers of it all are incredibly helpful. Um, I, th- I think, I don't know, it's the, it's the way I like to produce is knowing where every cent is spent. Yeah. Um, and even though I don't line produce, I usually have a line producer. I, I feel like that relationship is of vital importance. And for people that are starting out, like even if you want to take side jobs, like PAing to learn things, it's really kind of important to maybe even PA or try to learn accounting, payroll, mm. or the behind the scenes and all of that. It helps you take steps to becoming a line producer, but yeah. also like it really does help you learn financially how to watch the books on behalf of financiers. Because if we don't protect the people that independently finance films, then there will be, it is very difficult to have them come back and finance more. Yeah, I was going to say, more importantly than being friends with Brad Pitt, be friends with the financiers. Yes, so. yeah, yes. I think it's both. You need both, yeah. especially in the independent space, but yeah. 100%. Yeah. So you've had a ton of festival experience. You've had some yes, I really have had imp- some fun festival experience. Yeah, well, like... I'd like more, please. I was going to say, right, <laughs> dish, dish from the, uh, from the, the trenches. What, what, like, what, was, what would you say was your, the best festival experience where you came out really satisfied with the progress that the project made at the festival? You know, I think uh, like some festivals, like one where I didn't even have a film at, I had a really amazing festival uh, experience going to Cannes, which like really surprised me. I mean, kind of, there was like magic going on and I met new people that I have relationships for life with that I didn't know would come from that. or I hope for life, um, but so far so good. Uh, mm-hmm. And also had like, you know, magical movie time and like, uh, uh, and my husband came with me when I went to, which I think was like really fun. But it was one of those things that it was like just so much pleasure mixed with like expanding my Rolodex, I guess would say. It, ma- it made it feel like all the more rewarding of a festival, like you'd accomplish mm. so much, but um but as far as for films, I would say probably there, there's two. Uh, one is the experience of watching um, The Vicious Kind when it played at Sundance and like having my family members walk towards me with like such excitement for me. Aww. Like I think that was like, they were like, I think they were blown away. Like you made a real movie. Yeah, <laughs> like, it you were kidding. Very special, um, but then the other one I would say it, the results from it 
were probably like the feedback that happened when the invitation was shown as like the opening midnight movie at South by Southwest because so cool. you're so nervous uh with a slow burn movie mm. to see how it will be received like will they get it like will you know I don't know like they whoever they are and like what will the reviewers think um and um I don't it was very nerve-wracking but uh, but it was also like immediately was getting very good reviews like surpassing yeah. our expectations I think we were all just so nervous about it that it wound up when it went in the positive direction it was just extremely rewarding uh. What a relief. Yeah, for sure. And that was such a like magical experience because that movie was made in LA and there were so many, um, the cast really loved each other and Aww. like, and then, you know, one of the writers is married to the director and like, so like there was just such a collaborative, loving experience and the producing team, I really cherished. It was really fun. I feel like that stuff comes across some, in some, you know, indescribable way on film when the, when the, the people behind it love it and, and and had a good time making it you can see it it's like I, I completely agree with you there's like yeah. certain magic that's behind uh behind certain movies that like if you're able to create that also which is also you know a talent like there's I, sometimes it just happens but then also if you're able to like take the opportunity to bubble yourself and I know mm -hmm. that that's like a terrible word right now because we're in quarantine and everyone's bubbling and whatever but I mean there. I, I was thinking that there's going to be some movies that are bubbling that, you know, I'm not enjoying the COVID protocols, but sure. may have some creation of that from everybody being able to share space with each other right now. Yeah. So. Yeah. I enjoy that as a producer that like, it's my job or it's at least I, my intention to set that, set that energy, set that space for every crew I have. That's like, this is going to be a great time. Everyone's going to have a voice that's input, you know, I'm going to listen and, create a welcoming space where people feel like they, their artistic provisions matter, even if it's just, you know, a PA or somebody. Yeah. hundred percent. So distribution, it's such, <laughs> it's such a tricky thing. I, the, that was the a first, hard word to say. Isn't oh it? God. It, it's like, so I made a feature, my first feature in 2007 and it was like, you know, we were so excited about it and it was, you know, it's a very like silly niche horror film that we thought, Oh, this will be no problem. And it didn't, you know, we really struggled to get distribution and it just broke my heart. And I was like, why would any filmmaker put themselves through this, you know, all this heart and soul for the thing to then just sit on the shelf? Like, and I thought, I'm never going to do this again until I have that part figured out first so that I know that yeah. this is wanted. It's going and someone's going to want it. And what was the, with your early films, like, what was your experience? Did you have distribution set, set up ahead of time? Or like, when did you get, like, did you have a film that sat on the shelf? Or like, what was your journey in getting distribution to be a thing? So, you know, it's funny that you should say distribution like that. I really know that you're a pained producer or <laughs> filmmaker when you say it like that. Because, um, I mean, I think we can all relate to that, that have, uh, if you've had that experience with your baby. Yeah. So I, I don't think I ever will have it fully figured out. Again, it's a little bit of a gatekeeper thing too, right? Mm -hmm. Like learning to, you know, what kind of sales agent to pick, when to get one, how to position your film. Um, um, is it possible to get that sales agent attention? Like what is it about 
the group of us that are making this film? Is there any story behind the story that's worth mm. telling? Um, does anyone also that comes to the table have any um, um, representation that can help also? Like, and, and will they help? Will it actually be a help? Because I think with each independent film, it's like so challenging to have the, those pieces together. And also a lot of it is in the execution some of the financing doesn't require that you have distribution or pre-sales, especially at a certain budget level, you're not going to be able to get pre-sales. Mm -hmm. You're doing it with no cast or even some cast. It's not, it's not enough or you're trying to make a film that doesn't warrant foreign pre-sales like, and that you hope that will be a domestic hit. So then it's the pain. And I've discussed this with another colleague of mine for a few years now. How, how do you change that distribution control right yeah um and it's very strange that um like the film arcade carousel that i work with um i that this idea came out of the ceo miranda bailey and myself from having conversations about um how challenging it is like it, it just started with even aggregating your film like how do you, you mm -hmm. get being a third part like, how do you offer this to a friend that has a film that, like you said, you don't want it sitting in your living room. You want it in a, at least an art gallery where there's an opportunity to purchase it um, and you to make your money back because this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that it is a business. Right. And with any art, there's always that chance that you're not going to sell that painting, right? So therefore... You're, but you're still supposed to make best efforts to get it out there. Yes. Right? Like, unless you made it for your living room and you're fine with that. But like, it, no movie is made for that reason. It's made right. to find an audience, right? Like, yeah. even if that audience is your family and you want your family to buy it, like, you know, like to help recoup your funds, like, and everyone you know. And then sometimes some small movies, that's enough, right? Like, it yeah. depends on what kind of movie we're talking about. So therefore... It became, it's, beca it's feeling to me and becoming more and more imperative with everything that's in the news lately, that filmmakers, like independent filmmakers have some way to control the destiny of their film and in a transparent way, which has for the many years not felt transparent for me. Mm -hmm. I've made dumb decisions, not informed decisions for sure. Like uh, the vicious kind is owned by its distributor for way too long. Like how uh, did I like I did not know what was going to happen with streamers, right? Like right. Who who knew that was going to happen? Sure. So what is going to happen like fifteen years from now? And maybe everyone's going, oh well, there's nothing else that's going to change from streamers. Well, I don't know. Like you know, I mean, it's impossible to say these things now. Like you have to understand the evolution and retaining the rights of your film, and. Also, it's the decisions of about windows and when a film can be released. Like I had a filmmaker come to us recently that said, I want to release an older title that I only put up on Amazon and like, I, but I want to do something with it because I think people will watch it. It's a good movie and no one's seen it. Right. And I'm like, hmm. okay, well, and then I, another distributor would be like, well, that's already, that ha that's already, uh, already been out for a year or two or something like yeah. that. And it's like, well, so nobody knows about it. So if you want to spend some money promoting your film to recoup it, if it's still relevant and you feel it is like, how do you do that? Right. Yeah. Like who do you go to? And especially if you're alone, who's your team? Like who helps you with that? And then it was like, okay, well, how do we navigate that? Well, we're all filmmakers at the film arcade and cold iron pitcher. So 
will will help and we know vendors and we've been a North American theatrical distribution company for years and servicing deals for larger studios that needed the film arcade to release their smaller films. So we've been in this business for a while. We just weren't offering it to everyone. So oh, now it's like, well, why not? Let's yeah. see what people want. A lot of it is, you know, if someone even wanted to do a vanity screening or have a, like meaning inviting their family and friends yeah. um, and you want to do it and you didn't know how to do it without getting ripped off, like at least we can consult you on that. But it's also an awards qualifying theatrical release, like any of these things that we know COVID interrupted this year, which is not amazing, but also it, it's been a time for educating people about what's possible. So hopefully mm -hmm. like, um, yeah, like, I, I mean, I have to say like, just thinking about other people's stories, like, like the list is long of people taking the no MG deal. And for anyone that doesn't know what MG is, a minimum guarantee deal or even the smallest, like someone's gonna give you three, five, 10,000 and you grab it and then you sit behind their distribution costs that you don't understand and they don't lay out for you regularly. Mm -hmm. And you never see another dime from your film. I've heard that from so many filmmakers. They're like so excited to get distribution and then they keep getting those statements that are like, oh, they still somehow, the, the accounting still says we don't get any of the money they're making. Oh, we still don't get any like for years. And it's like. Wait, so I spent all this time making art and I don't get anything from it? You get money off of my art? Well, now, and now you can release your film. Like we have older titles that still like, you know, a thousand dollars comes in here, there, whatever. Like, I mean, it's possible to recover the money you spent slowly on an independent film. And it's also possible to do it quickly. Like, I mean, I use hmm. as a larger example, because um, people are aware of the movie, um, Peter Butter Falcon was an actually like a service deal right? They wow. paid that distribution company to release the film. Wow. A big, huge fee to do it properly. But they paid them because they didn't want to take any of the deals. And those executive producers believed in the movie. They had other offers, I'm sure. I don't know the details of that, but I'm sure they weren't happy with them. So they did their own release and they made a lot of money. So, wow. I mean, that's a perfect, I mean, they had big cast. Yeah. That's fair. They executed a beautiful movie. I was going to say, and it's a great movie. So, yeah. But to think that people, the just distributors didn't know what to do with it. Like, I think this comes, this is not a criticism of distributors on some level of like, there's only so many of them. There's only so many people making those decisions. Who decides on what day when they're screening your film that they're not going to distribute it? Like, that's like me deciding all of your movies. Like, I mean, anyone's movies like I mean that's impossible I mean I don't know what every audience wants to watch or and and sometimes I don't have the bandwidth or the time and if you have a niche audience and I don't know it I'm going to say no like this is where independent filmmakers really need to take control but they also need to plan 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 and and have that in your budget right this is part of the business part. You would pay yeah. for insurance. This is distribution insurance. Interesting. That's a I, really good way of looking at it. I hadn't thought about it that way. Yes. If you don't have five, 10, 15, $20,000 to self-distribute at a minimum, but you spent money, $5,000 on your location and five, $15,000 on your insurance to make your movie or whatever it is. And like, you didn't put this money aside too. like, you shouldn't have started making your film. 
Oh, in my so it's opinion, from anymore. its bedrock budget line item then. Yeah. So, and Annie just asked, what is distribution insurance? And I'm, I think you're, you're saying, you're saying it metaphorically that mm-hmm. to put that money aside is like distribution insurance. It's so you just, so you don't run up against no money yeah. once, when you finish your film. It gives you an opportunity. And like, that's the thing. We're here to consult as early as you want. You could plan a budget for what that is look like worst case scenario. And also like, we don't have to be your worst case scenario. You can just take control of it. Yeah. That's the thing. I think at, at first I was like, Ooh, I'm going to be grim reaper to everyone I know, but like, no, not every movie sells at Sundance for $10 million, but every right. movie can have an audience. Right. That's, so that's, that's the pull quote right there. That's great. Yeah. And like, and, yeah. and who, um, and who knows your movie better? You do. Right. Yeah. And if you're not an insane narcissist, psychotic person that has completely delusional about how good your film is, you probably know where that audience is, right? Yeah. Because you made yeah. it for them. Right. It's so, never, it never, the, the answer is never, it's for everyone. It's, yeah. not, it's not, it's not. Yeah. And so it's like, but, and how to find that audience. And like, so then you can market it properly, have the proper vendors to help you get the right trailer together and not waste your time and money on things and overpay for things or do it mm-hmm. through the distributor's choice. Like you can have consultation w- with us that distribute, but you can have, make all the decisions yourself with con- yeah. consult with other people, which I think is like a huge thing that I think independent filmmakers need to know to plan for. Yeah. Know? Yeah, I was just, we just spoke with Drea Clark, um, the Sundance and Slamdance film programmer a couple of weeks ago. And we were talking about that, like thinking ahead of time of what are all the assets that you have to talk about? Like, is there an interesting actor? Does the DP have a weird story about the, some that people would want to know about connection to the film or connection to the, the subject matter? Or, you know, are they from somewhere that that festival is? And, you know, anything you can talk about about the film besides why you made it, why it's important, why now think about all that stuff ahead of time. So you're starting to think about your marketing strategy and where that audience is and what you can target to get to that audience. Absolutely. It's like the story behind the story um, Mm -hmm. is, is definitely a huge part of it. Uh, That was a huge part of the invitation um, and its successes Um, are people wanting to support you know, Karn's journey of doing an independent film that won at Sundance uh, for like a million dollars or a million around there. Um, And then went off and made a couple of big like studio films that she didn't like the way they were marketed. She didn't like the way one of them was controlled when it changed studio heads a number of times and Mm. they changed editors and decided to make her movie like something else that it wasn't that she shot. And like, and she had no say in that really. Uh, she tried, you know, and then she returned to making an independent film to have control. Yeah. And like, that was a first class lesson in watching someone. Uh, I mean, Karen's an amazing human, but like she, her control too, and the way that she delivered and explained why she would want things marketed the way she did came from the experience of seeing things not do as well as they could because she wasn't involved. You know, it was yeah, it, that had been amazing. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. And I will tell you like, and that's another lesson for people. She maintained control over looking at people's deliverables 
for for instance, Netflix bought that movie for the most part. We're international, but we had uh, a few territories sold separately, and Italy was one of them. And for instance, they sent our, the trailer for approval to her. And um, I remember the trailer gave away too much because we were all looking mm. at it. We talked about it or whatever. And they were like, no, no. And like, you need to change it. Um, and it was just like that careful consideration that she was taking for everything so that people would understand the movie that she had made. Okay. You know? And I think so, that, that you feel that, right? Yeah. When you watch that movie. So, so I think it's, it's uh, going in with your eyes open and making sure you have a, a hand in, if you can, if you mm -hmm. can keep that control, that get it written in somewhere that you get to at least see that stuff, if not approve it. Yeah, and there's like greater topics behind all of that, you know, that she didn't have, wasn't afforded the same opportunities or respect because she was a woman as well. But, you know, there's like lots of stories. If you yeah. deep dive into her story, it's very interesting. She's a, she's an amazing filmmaker. So mm -hmm. the uh, setting money aside for marketing versus setting money aside for dis distribution. It's the same thing. I think you need to combine them and you need to combine them as a plan, right? So it's like a decision if you're going to just, if you want to have your film out on streamers and you want to do a transactional um, like video on demand, so TVOD um, for short, then you want to pl plan how you're going to promote that, which is all part of your marketing strategy, which can start while you're making your movie or not, depending on how, what kind of movie you're making and what, and what your strategy is with it. Um, so yeah, we can get involved before you even start filming your movie and helping wow. you with that plan. At least to like, you know, do points of strategy and decisions and make sure your money's spent well, because either way, the assets that you come out of from when your movie's done, um, you know, whether it's like you had a, some musicians on and you like film something that would make a music video as you were filming the movie or, you know, all these like things to do to help you have more followers or whatever it is that you're depending on the goal and what kind of movie it is you can at least plan for that in advance and then that would be money well spent even if you land a distribution deal with someone that you want to do like with Netflix or Sony or you know whomever what benefit is there and how early in the process would it, would you want to get the trades to notice your film in terms of publicity you know that I mean, that varies, right? I think you can definitely put the cart before the horse and like get a little too much publicity before you want it. Obviously, depending on what kind of cast you have, they have a say in that as well. Mm. Um, and their people do. So it, it really depends on what kind of film it is. Like if, you, if you're trying to have some sort of campaign, like if it's a thriller and, or a suspense movie and you want to make that part of like the sprinklings of things you tell that's possible if you're looking to try and get a certain sales, a sales agents or team of sales agents, like interested in the film, then perhaps you want to do it. And then sometimes you don't want to say anything until you're finished. Right. Yeah. So I, I think um, that really varies. Like, and that's another thing, like we can help with festival strategy too, on top of that, because that's part of your distribution plan and strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Too. It's what, certain, you can't, it's not, always possible because I think things are changing all the time, but you can identify what films should kind of be released with certain festivals. Makes sense. What, I mean, what would someone, you know, if we, a filmmaker that's not on any radar do to get a trade to notice their film or to get like 
it's short of hiring a PR agent. Is there any other way? Like you can't just cold call, <laughs> cold call variety and be like, hello. Well, I my- have had some talks with some very crafty um, filmmakers and they have, a, it, one of them in particular mentioned in COVID, she was having some luck doing that, like calling really? people and just like rando pitching her stuff and like oh getting the right emails. And she was smart and knew how to talk about her film and people were biting. So, cause she was playing at some festivals. So and and she also had something to say, right? Like her film has something to say. So I think it's, you know, picking the right film to do that for like, again, maybe some story behind the story again mm-hmm. plays into that. But you definitely can do that. But also I think that that is part of your distribution plan uh, as well would be having some sort of publicity involved but I will say there's been times where the agency wanted that for their clients so if there's like an actor that you put in they found a way to do it for you like they're like we're gonna announce so but then they have to you know with independent they want full confidence that you're actually making the movie really so right of course so it depends what you're using this for right like if you're using it to help you raise more money or something like that that's not really probably not yeah gonna happen probably yeah. What do you recommend in terms of sales agents? Like when, when and how to best involve, like I've been to AFM a few times and just was like, this is so daunting and so overwhelming. Yeah. I would say it's still really terrifying. Um, <laughs> yeah. Good to know that uh, never changes. Yeah. No, it doesn't. I, I think the problem is, is like sales agents are people too, and they're not magicians and like expectations from filmmakers, including myself are that I, that my film is amazing and you're going to sell it for the number I need it to be at and what's going on in the world. I mean, obviously COVID's a perfect example, but even then like the vicious kind of released came out on the worst Sundance on record 2009, which was after the 2008 financial collapse. I, it made the agent uh, agents cry. I think, you know, like it really did because things had changed. Right. Mm. And I, and also like, I think they they pick their battles. They don't know when to push on what film sometimes. Um, they're mm. just, they're humans. Like they only yeah. have so much pull and a lot of them seem appear and seem to have a lot of it. It's, it's, it's a challenge because it's also uh, like, are you their client regularly as well? Like, you know, they have to protect their clients that they have. And that's like more of like the bigger agencies like um, ICM, CAA or UTA if they're like, or WME, if they're representing your film in the marketplace too. But then there's lots of other sales companies um, and some of them are more successful than others. Um, And uh, really, if you're in a festival, sometimes they seek you out uh, and they interview everyone that's um, coming up. And, but then, you know, they're going to pass on the ones that don't speak to them too. Right. So it is unfortunate, but I think a lot of independents wind up with no sales agent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is, I think like why this is another reason why I hated the distribution conversation for so long until I was able to present this as an option. It's still very painful to me when a filmmaker comes to me and says they don't have the money to even aggregate with us because you know um 
there are consultation costs with us at like our fees and like, uh, but even then we're very transparent about it. But like, as you know, people don't know anything about the distribution of their film when they make yeah. a film. Sometimes it's about getting it in the can and then they don't yeah. know anything. I think that's, that's where most of us at least are, if not, it's definitely start, but a lot of us still are. It's like, just get it in the can. Let me get a great edit out okay, then distribution fairy, where are you? You know, and just yeah. like, we don't, I think beyond like, oh, I'm going to enter it in festivals. Uh, you know, the thinking doesn't go beyond that. I know mine certainly hasn't in past projects. A hundred percent. And I think that that's a normal like disease to feel you have with your films, like that you just like are, oh, well, I didn't know. I mean, and, and that's the thing because it's like a whole nother engine to get your movie out, which is why it's like imperative to have options. And um, and for you to control those options, like really, because if you do a nice like TVOD campaign, who's to say like a subscription uh, VOD wouldn't pick it up because they're seeing you're getting a lot of viewers like that, like you need to like keep your options open or maybe you could find an AVOD window or some TV area, you know that this is very popular in this area of the world mm -hmm. because you're from there or your family's from right. there. And like, I don't know that, like, you know what I mean? Like, but let's explore that. There's, um, a lot of things that you feel like you have no voice in at that point when you like didn't get into the premiere festival or got into some festivals, mm -hmm. maybe you got nominated for an award, maybe you got some attention, or maybe you just played at a festival and you know your film's good and you didn't win anything. So, you know, then it's like you have a product in hand and you want to get it out. But maybe you only want to spend a minimum amount of money to get it out, or maybe you want to spend a little bit more than that and have a particular kind of campaign, like you have to have those options. Like mm -hmm. I, I, I can't stress it enough. I've made too many movies that have made the bad, taken the bad deal, you know? Mm. Is it at all appropriate for you to share like a horror story? Like the worst? I feel like the vicious kind after the uh, financial collapse was like the worst horror story of uh, all. Um, just because it was a well-executed film with like a really great cast that if it sold any other year and, be, and essentially Sundance uh, or other people publish articles saying that, that it would have sold for a lot of money. Oh, so, man. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, oh, oh. Like, oh and that's they, just a knife to the gut. Yeah. The other producers and myself like talked about how it was just like, it felt like it was a product of a hurricane, like just like a hurricane mm. of bad things that you were like, okay, mother nature just did not want it to have what it was. Um, or what it could be. I mean, you know, I got Spirit Award nominations. I'm still proud of the film. Like, yeah. I, I, all of the actors were in it. They're awesome. And JK went on to win an Oscar after that. He was already famous, but like, you know, it just, everyone else got better and better out of it. So I'm not, I, I don't regret it. It just it makes me sad. Sometimes. Yeah. It's sort there's of like, really it sounds cool like there's, on. there's great value to it and to the experience of it, but it didn't, it deserved a better voice than it got. Yeah, and fortunately, it's gotten like, you know, I think it was like a year ago or two years ago that one of the guys on the AFI list on this like podcast that it was like in his top five favorite movies. And for unfortunately, we did a really bad distribution deal. It doesn't allow us to really profit from those kind of things, <sighs> which sucks. It's just you kind of like took what you could, you know, at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really wish we had actually been presented with self-distribution at the time in a in a bigger way and we did not do it um and I really wish we had so I know uh 
I've certainly been like in that position where that it feels like that decision comes out of fear. It's like, oh my God, I'm never going to get another chance. Yeah. yeah, there may be things about this that aren't great, but I better jump on it. And so you just do it. Yeah. And also you're afraid of spending more money, like good after bad too, which is right. like, that's why it really has to be a total re-examination of how you look at it. It has to be in your budget already yeah. and money that you could save yeah. if, you, if you don't use it. Yeah. It means it goes straight back to your investor and they can have it back. But if you don't put it, if you don't have it in there, then you're terrified to ask for it. You're terrified to spend it. Mm-hmm. You haven't planned for it properly. I that that actually makes me like really sad and a little bit sick. Like just even the thoughts are giving me like chills. Like because it's like <laughs> it's just such a terrible feeling. It is. Like, it's, it's a whole other thing to consider. But when I take a step back and think, look, it's just another budget line item. It's not that scary. Like I can do that. Plus, you can break it down. Like yeah. you can break it down in sections. That if you had to cut your budget. You're like, okay, well, we did put this much aside for, um, you know, ad space, like for the film, like maybe, you know, maybe we need to take that down to 75% when you're cutting the budget or, but like to still have something there. Yeah. You know, like, about it. Yeah. What, uh, so I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Naomi McDougal Jones, but she had a yeah. film We're last, yeah. oh, she's amazing. Yeah. And I, I, I just found her whole journey with her, that film astonishing that was like such a different model oh yeah um, I'm in that actually that you are the, the behind the scenes oh. journey around uh oh my gosh it was pre-me doing carousel and we were talking I was I actually talked about the vicious kai she asked me to talk about it publicly and that's when I started oh. and ever since then I, then had, I have I've seen yeah. that then I've seen I saw all the things from the motorhome so for the people who don't know Naomi uh, came out with this film and decided to self-distribute but in the self-exhibit so she basically, with her little team, went around in an RV for almost a, a year. Or, no, not a year. Three months. Oh, it's a few months, months. Few months. Yeah. They, they they rented an RV and literally drove the film from town to town and had scheduled screenings and made it an event and made it like a really cool thing for people to come out to and take part in and meet the cast and meet the the filmmakers and have a Q&A and the film is all about inclusivity and kind of you know the oddballs that we all sort of secretly are inside and. Which like event uh, event based things do prove to be very uh, yeah. can be very fruitful, and, and that's the thing. It's like having the plan and like the team. That I, I'm so I was helped, you know I and, was so inspired by that plan and also so exhausted by that. I'm like, please tell oh, me I don't yeah. have to rent an RV and drive my movie around the country. I think that's also a problem. I had a filmmaker say, "I don't know if I have it in me." Right. Yeah. Like, because it's also like, that's it seems not like an Everest that you then you'd like creating the thing was hard enough. And now I have to do this whole other thing. Yeah. I mean, if you were in a distribution campaign being paid by a big distributor and you had to like fly around and go to screenings, it's like exciting. Right. Yeah, like sure, that's what I'll you kind that. of like imagine you're like, sure, I'll do that. And maybe I'm getting paid for it. Or maybe I got paid well enough that it's part of it. Or maybe it's going to pay off because they're promoting my film in such a way that I'll have a bigger career. Right. Yeah, yeah. So those things don't seem as exhausting. Yeah. But what Naomi did was definitely exhausting. I, I can see why someone says, like, I don't know if I have it in me to, like, be sitting at home, posting on Instagram and coming up with something creative to say and and all of that kind of stuff. I agree. I think it, I think it wears you down, right? Like, that. this is, again, 
part of the reason why I, like it's also maddening to be left with it in your hands and like not know how to yeah. do it that's why I'm like yeah. you have to have experts like yeah. I'm not an, I'm not an expert like I'm an expert in what has happened to me but and then on top of that offering like carousel and I don't mean even to sound like a salesperson it's more just like if you haven't planned for this then then that is what is going to happen to you. You're going to be exhausted. Yeah. You need to have this team around you. Like even meeting this really great guy that can offer us, uh, you know, he's like, I'll do a deal for you guys because they've done so many for the film arcade before, like for posters and um, trailers. I was like, oh my God, it's such a relief. Like, I mean, yeah. even for me, like for meaning, like I'm talking about other people's movies. I just like, I'm like, it's so hard yeah. to do all of that by yourself. And I, even if yeah. yourself is a team of like three people, everybody's moved on to the next project. Everyone's yes. trying to find a paycheck. Everybody is trying to make money making art. So yeah. therefore, like if you can't, if you can't afford that help, it's like I, it's shooting your movie in the foot that you did that exhausted you. Like yeah. you need to be able to hand it to someone else. Well, and I feel like after this year, we're all already exhausted anyway. <laughs> so yeah really just to be, if this is a perfect time to really have this present at front of mind, you know, to keep from getting yourself further exhausted. I know. And I'm like, I keep imagining like this exploding, like, you know, when you hear about the HBO Warner thing happening and stuff like that, like it's on a grander scale. I'm thinking about how all of the indie films are just going to come to Carousel and like, we're going to, <laughs> we're going to service them all and we're going to get them out there. And then it will be a destination for coming to watch movies instead of just like, meaning you're still getting them through like aggregation or wherever it is that you decided to put it up. But if you went to our website, you could at least like find them that way too. Like I just, the idea of promoting so many indie films I, I gives me like so much joy, like because I'm like, oh. I, I really, absolutely adore uh, filmmaker spirits behind their film. It crushes me that that's it, right? You make yeah. a movie and that's it, and that's not it's not fair to them, and it's definitely not fair to their financiers. I'm really into like cold calling people and cold emailing people, like I always have been. Uh, that's definitely not, a skill because not everyone degree, loves that but you know it all started I actually was for a while I was like terrified of it in some sort of business way when I first moved to the states from Canada but then it's like if you can ever afford an industry pass and get the credentials of who is coming to like a major festival and then and if you're working on a project that has like merit and get like interesting things about it, you're cold calling all these people to take meetings during a festival. Um, some meeting, some festivals are better than others for that, but then you can get like general meetings with people. And like, I'm, I was surprised the first time that I ever did that, like how many meetings came out of it that were really wonderful. Wow. So like, and even if they were meetings of people saying no, I'm like, and people genuinely read my film before meeting too. And some people would just read some of the materials. Like it was really the beginning of, you know, a way to start networking and expand, yeah. expanding that to meet more people is really That's great. getting into, um, to access those kind of lists. They're, they're not exclusive lists. It's just that yeah, you, you have gotta have buy an, pass. yeah, yeah. I have to have an industry pass at one of the festivals. Mm -hmm. Toronto's one of the cheaper festivals. Sundance is 
extraordinarily expensive. Don't do that one. Um, you know, if you know someone that's ever participated in any of those festivals, they could have a list. Obviously, those jobs are changing all the time. Michael asks, you've discussed horror stories of distribution, but can you tell a story, too, about a film that broke out and surprised you with their success? I, I mean, I, I think I, I think when I was talking about the invitation, it wasn't just the uh, the success of like right after people liking the movie, like it presently in there, like, you know, our, our agents had really repped us and said that we weren't going or prepped us and said, like, you know, most likely you might not we might not hear anything for a couple of weeks, like people are going to need to screen it and like, like really like playing down thinking they they made us feel like it might not be that successful. And then, mm. you know, there was an offer. I think by the next day, if not, and then there was like seven offers for it. So, wow. I mean, they weren't like explosive, like, uh, you know, $10 million deal for it, but still it was like, it, ex- it exceeded the expectation of like, I felt like we were going in there at zero, not quite zero, you know, but cause we had some good things going on, but you're still like, I, I, I thought it was terrifying. That was a wonderful feeling to think that people like actually loved it and that people wanted to buy it and there was something to negotiate yeah it's like validation of your of your voice and your efforts I'm just curious as a producer what are you what are you working on next uh so many things today it was a pretty exciting day I had the the Nywift um Ravenel grant was announced for a film that I'm producing called um in the land of fire and ice oh wow Uh, really excited to have uh, a lead woman over the age of 50 playing lead in the film and she's a woman of color she's from the middle east it's uh awesome. we um our writer director uh wrote it with another writer and um for sheree agadashlu the oscar nominated mm-hmm. actress she's amazing fans. yeah and uh it's certainly a labor of love and as sheree pointed out to me there has been no uh positive w- uh, women in positions of power from the Middle East portrayed in Hollywood films, which yep. is of her age. And I yeah. was like, I can't believe that. You yeah. Know? I mean, but I can believe that. So I don't know why I'm surprised. Um, so it's a very important like labor of love film for me. And then I have a couple of thrillers. Um, one I'm working on with Adam Salki, another one with another director called Marcel, his name's Marcel Sarmiento, which I'm I was getting told today that we're going to shoot in Montana. I was going to shoot in Canada, but you know, so there's a bunch of things in the fire and then a lot of um, things are going on with cold iron too, that I'm happy that I work with as well. So happy to step in and help on. There's so many things going on COVID with that company. It's really expanding. So it's exciting. Mm -hmm. Well, that's cool. I sort of generally wanted to ask, what's your hope with film with carousel? Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing when I, we also don't want to be an aggregator that's just like taking in so many films that we, you know, obviously can't handle it. We've been calling ourselves more of a boutique aggregator. Um, but I'm hopeful that there's enough need for it that we would expand mm-hmm. uh, accordingly as well. Like, so yeah. if it was needed more, then that would be fantastic. But I would say, yeah, my hope for Carousel is to have like a nice group of uh, uh, films that we're promoting this coming year with hopefully a year that's a lot better than 2020. That's for sure be hard pressed to be worse for me and then that means I need to check in with you before I start my next film get a budget line item in there have a breakdown for a distribution and marketing plan um and have it like yes 
work with you as part of that. Absolutely. And like, I know we touched on transparency. That's why on the website, it has my email so that you can actually get in contact with me. The whole point is that you're supposed to be able to get in contact. So it it has my email and, and therefore you can have these early conversations and, and you go just right on the film arcade page. Uh, there's a, um, you just press on carousel. And if you like okay. scroll through it, I'm at the bottom. So cool. you can do you find do, me. Do you do TV sales and ancillary? Martine asks. Um, we do help with, we do help with that. If there, if the film uh, can go into any one of those markets, we will, that's, that's on part of our a la carte menu. So I, I say that a la carte, because you can come to us and ask us about anything that's on there um, in any consultation kind of way, even if we're not your aggregator. Okay. So, yeah. And Lori asks, how do you find distributors and financiers for your specific genre? Oh, uh, well, I mean, I would say like when you're trying to do research for, for where you want your film to go and where you want to, you know, start stalking people to like, you know, nicely it, to look at all of the films that you like and who's released them and who's part of them and what's going on with those companies right now, like doing that deep dive um, can be very helpful. Like for that's the kind of research I do when I started doing those cold calling from the, or cold emailing from that list, it would be like, okay, I like, and you know, they're like-minded with this. I have to admit like, cause I did do the invitation. Then everybody sent me every thriller and horror movie, uh, <laughs> that I like would talk to um, yeah. everybody on earth, but that it seemed to be like attracting to me mm-hmm. and I'm actually scared of horror and yeah, me too. very terrified. I had like, I had a very hard time watching the, the movie in the theater. <laughs> I was so nervous <laughs> yet. I, yet I was there when we made it. It's very strange. Yep. Um, no, I'm with you on that. That's what I would do though. It's like, just do all of that kind of research and then keep in mind that they don't want to make the exact same movie over and over again. Like, and what that person looks for. If you look at the depth of movies they've had, what kind like, for instance, like cold iron is like the unique perspective and something fresh, then you would never send them something that they've already done before. Like they just, you know, be like, no. Mm. And then the follow-up to that from Lori is at what point should we contact a company like yours? And it sounds like, early in the process when you're getting your budget together. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And if you even knew you wanted to, like, you know, you want to self-distribute, that's your plan for your film. It's a small film and stuff like that. We give a discount also for like early, early decision. So you can like sign up with us and then start, we can start consulting you with you on a myriad of things and like, but also even coming to us and saying like, Hey, I've got this kind of budget aside and this is the genre. Like it can have a very like, even if I haven't read your film roundabout conversation about what I think you should have put aside. I mean, I can already see that it would be a good, helpful crystallizing conversation. You know, if I come to you with this imaginary script tomorrow mm-hmm. and have a meeting, I could then, you know, even if I didn't do something with you, I'd be like, Oh, at least I have a better idea of what I'm supposed yeah. to do now. And I would hope that like, if someone like I've talked to filmmakers that have done a lot of self distribution, so they have an idea already, helping people will learn what it is and they don't need to call me. They can share the information with their friends or whatever, you know, but it's one of those things that super important to, to plan. I can't stress that enough. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting that. Uh, do you do MGs? I think, well, the film arcade does do minimum care. The film arcade proper has done minimum guarantees in the past. 
and we'll probably continue to do them, but not to help, um, not in advance. Uh, they pick up films after they're finished. I they're see. not. They're so not. We, a dis- they're not a distributor. So it wouldn't help you get your funding by saying we've got this. Guarantee. No, they wouldn't give you um, advance. Um, I, I mean, there hasn't been a situation where that's happened so far. That would be more like a territory pre-sales kind of thing, right? Like if you've got pre-sales, uh, yeah. then you can go. Then you can get them. that pre-funded. And like, obviously, if someone wants to make you like an original, like Netflix or something like that, then maybe they're going to pay for your movie to get made, that kind of thing. But please. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. It's like, now how do we all get into the stream? No, exactly. Like, uh, give them buckets of money and like, yeah. we'll all make movies. Live in the dream. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It is this has been really wonderful Lindsay. i thank you so much i'm so glad you enjoyed it like i i feel like i'm sometimes gonna be a broken record with my like plan 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 but you know i'm just you know so many of us i so many of us don't to that degree or and i i mean i will admit right now like i hadn't thought that far into the process i was really proud of myself that i put money for post in my budget let alone you know and then the next time i was really proud of myself that i put money for festival entries in my budget. And like, that's as far as I thought, like, I'd never thought as far as everything you do. So yeah, I mean, Heidi, I feel like you're, I'm the same person as you. I was like, I, from the beginning, it was like that. It's like an education of, okay, well, I'm not going to not do that next time. Right. Yeah. So you learn what not uh, to do real fast. Mm-hmm. I think it's just like having access. Like I wouldn't have known who to call to help me plan for this. Yeah. Well, I'm glad until last year, until last year, really, yeah. literally, literally, I would not know who to ask, but now I'm asking myself, which means I'm asking my colleagues who have done yeah. this for a long time. So, but I love that. I love it. Now we have you, so we can ask you and that's hugely helpful. So Lindsay, it was such a pleasure to meet you. I totally it's hope nice we can, to meet you too. I it's hope we can actually, cut. yeah, I hope we can hang out when this is all over. It'd be super fun. I know I'm missing that whole, like connecting with people at film <sighs> festivals and like, just like randomly celebrating everybody else. Like, yeah. You know, Ooh, it's like, I call it COVID claustrophobia. Like, well, so. so one of my earliest hearth sides actually was with a, a, my friend who's an archeologist and another friend who's a historian. And we looked, we looked at um, what's gonna come out of this, looking at the um, 1918 plague. And they were saying, look at the twenties. Like people went oh, yeah. wild when they came out and yes. the art that came out then, like the golden age of like, all the literature that came yeah, out in the all 20s. the explosion. And, I yeah. mean, I hope so. I mean, I hope people go nuts. My husband's yeah. in the restaurant business. So like, <laughs> people are going to want to eat their food and drink champagne and I'm great like, Gatsby please, all over the place. Please, please. Yes. Yeah. I think we're, I think we'll be due for a, a, a little celebration for a decade mm-hmm. or two. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I don't think I'm going to forget your last name after all. No, that conversation. <laughs> it's like way too cool now. Have you awesome. met Heidi Hornbacher? I'm like, am I'll I saying like, it right? Yes, you are. Yeah, okay. Like only if you know Lindsay Lancelotta. <laughs> Next time on Hearthside Salons, screenwriting success is not a static thing. It's something that has to keep happening in many different ways. Screenwriter Nicholas Griffin broke out early with his script Matchstick Men, written with his brother Ted. The film was directed by Ridley Scott and starred Nicholas Cage. He and Ted went on to write the FX drama Terriers, and Nick has worked with most of the major studios in town. He's also taught graduate-level screenwriting at UCLA. We'll talk about the strange, circuitous routes to screenwriting success, script doctoring, major studio notes, and how to keep your wits in a pitch meeting. Special thanks to our graphic and sonic designer, Joel Harris. Our theme music is by Lachey Swing. 
For more on our script coaching, online concept to pages screenwriting courses, and writing retreats in Italy, again someday, or to be part of our live recording audience, visit us at pagecraftwriting.com, at pagecraftwriting on Instagram, and at pagecraftwrite on Twitter. I'm Heidi from Pagecraft. Thanks for listening and stay well.